0: This is effectively the greatest art heist in history. Perpetrated by respectable seeming corporate entities backed by Silicon Valley venture capital, it's daylight robbery.
1: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, May 10th, as the writer's strike in Hollywood marches on. Today, Baratunde Thurston joins me to talk about a fascinating hypothetical. Could artificial intelligence ever do the job of writers or other humans who do creative work in film, TV, music, photography, design and more? The possibility may be closer to reality than you think. Baratunde and I dig in. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I was out to dinner with three of my very close friends in Los Angeles last Friday evening in West Hollywood. Uh, I was with my friend Scott Conroy, who is a screenwriter currently on strike as part of the WGA Writer's Strike. I was with my friend Rishi Shah, who works in strategy for a bunch of big bands and festivals. And I was with my friend Gotti Schwartz, who's a reporter for NBC News. And he is preoccupied with uh, technology, how it's influencing our lives, kind of like me and kind of like my guest today, Baratunde Thurston. And Baratunde, we had a debate that I thought you would be interested in, which is Scott was, you know, he's on strike and Gotti was suggesting at this dinner that maybe AI could replace writers. (laughs) Maybe the studios don't need writers. And Rishi and Scott Challenge that notion, they're creatives. Uh, you know, they care about in Reese's case, for example. He sent us an AI version of a fake Oasis album. And we listened to it and we're like, kinda sounds like Oasis. Yeah. But like it doesn't really like doesn't grab you, doesn't have the melodies, all this all the like creative magic that humans put into film, TV, music, other arts. You know, and Gotti was suggesting, well, you know, maybe a writer. Could cross the picket line and like, you could marry his creative talents, his ideas, characters, dialogue, but AI could help him create scripts. Anyway, I know this is a big question, but like, where do you come down on this? Could a bot replace someone who writes The Crown or, uh, you know, The Big Bang Theory?
0: I love these easy questions and our chill chill vibe session, Peter. We, We have a pattern here. It's, 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 what an interesting time. So short answer, first, first attempt, yes, in part. And I think, you know, the ability of a computational system to produce something that feels like entertainment mm-hmm. is very much doable. I think, you know, on the output side, we have to ask, are we measuring this against award-winning, can film festival finalists uh, taught in film schools Oscar-nominated fair, mm-hmm. or are we judging this against what people are willing to watch and what people are willing to spend their time with? Most of the entertainment that's available in the world is not that great, mm-hmm. right? It just, it's just by definition, there's only a few things that are of the highest possible quality, and it's the long tail of everything that produces profits that creates a measure of of high quality, high art, and so we will make good enough crap that a machine will crank out. You could argue machines have been cranking out a lot of entertainment already. We've so mechanized the process and wrung profits out of it. And we're not making art, we're making entertainment. And Mm -hmm. that's adhering to a bunch of incentives that are well below what a pure creator of art might do if they had no financial constraints or sleep constraints or any other kind of human constraints. So I think in your friend's debate, it is very fair for me to say, yeah, an AI could create entertainment of a bar that would significantly affect the market and will will generate ourselves, especially if there's a, a human creator managing the prompts and the flow and doing some massaging and doing the punch up, then yeah, that that's definitely going to happen. Raises all kind of other questions though. And I think one of them, you know, is how is that system able to create good enough entertainment to begin with? And that's by ingesting human creation from the start and scanning a bunch of scripts as a baseline, ingesting all the lyrics and sounds of Oasis in your example. And so without that raw input, that material, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And so how that work, that prior art, if I'm going to pretend I went to law school, I definitely didn't. But how that stuff ends up in there and who's owed what for involuntarily contributing to that data set? That's a very important question. Increasingly important question.
1: That's a good point. I mean, one reason the writers are on strike is for better residuals. And residual means if you uh, wrote a show, maybe it has a second life. It becomes a hit on a streamer. You get paid more for that. One thing they're not talking about is the idea of you write something somewhere on the internet and some AI bot scrapes it. And throws it into another script. Yeah. Uh, You know, how do you grapple with that? But it sounds like what you're saying is there are 10, 11,000 writers on strike currently, you know, maybe in 10 years, like the amount of working writers in L.A. is 3,000, 4,000. And they are (laughs) supplementing their craft with generative images, text, whatever. But I I, I think I came down in this conversation agreeing with you that there's a lot of just mass market slop out there. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say slop. <laughs> people are making it's okay. you, stuff you, you that people be... are watching. There's But like, you know, Parasite, for example, like couldn't win Best Picture, couldn't even exist, you know, without uh, the creative energy that went into it. It's very doubtful, you know, a bot could write that film. Yeah, It is possible that someone could maybe write a script for you know, the next Chicago Med or NCIS or whatever sitcom rom-com is popular on Netflix at any given moment. That seems a little more possible.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, there's there's a, obviously a lot of judgment, maybe some condescension as a subtext to our tone here. But I, I want to raise, you know, so there's the writer's strike you've named a few times, one effort of workers organizing to try to draw a line in the sand. Another is from the illustrator into the spectrum. I'm friends with the artist Molly Crabapple and she alerted me to this petition that she and the Center for Artistic Inquiry and Reporting have launched to restrict the use of AI in uh, illustration for publishing. You know, a lot of human mm-hmm. artists make the covers of Time Magazine and think of all the cartoonists of the world and the painters who work in the commercial space, but with their bodies, uh, essentially. And you know, one of the things that they say AI art generators are trained on enormous data sets containing millions upon millions of copyrighted images harvested without their creator's knowledge, let alone compensation or consent. This is effectively the greatest art heist in history. Perpetrated by respectable seeming corporate entities backed by Silicon Valley Venture Capital, it's daylight robbery. Hmm. And so something you and I have talked about before and a phrase I keep coming back to is consent control compensation. And so where is Where is that in the mix? It's really important to address. And these battles that are playing out right now are giving us real-world examples of how this might land and what are the other questions that we have to answer. Even the bad TV that exists, or the TV that we don't like, let's not even call it bad, let's just call it the TV that we don't like, the films we don't respect, they put food on a family's table, they sent a kid to college, they paid a mortgage. Mm -hmm. And, And so as we shift, industry and kind of rejigger all that. We've done it in history before. This might happen real fast. We're going to displace a lot of financial flows out of neighborhoods, out of communities, and into the people who sell licenses to use the bot. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I think is going to happen, which is not the one-for-one substitution of like, oh, you have an AI, therefore you don't hire a writer. It's just like a lot more people are going to produce scripts. right? A lot more... We all... Think about it like this, Peter. We all, in a literate society, everybody writes. Mm-hmm. Like, we write bullshit mostly. You know, <laughs> notes in class, reminders on the refrigerator, shopping lists. And hundreds of years ago, like, 10 people wrote. Yes. And they lived in a castle. They were like maesters in Game of Thrones. It was an ultimately highly privileged, limited, the most elite of the elite, you spent your whole life, There were calligraphists, right? And writing was an art. My email is not art, you know what I mean? And, yes. and so if, if we can apply the idea of writing overall, which used to be highly specialized, highly artistic and devotional to just something, anybody who's literate has access to the technology of words and syntax can just publish at will all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different one. So what's gonna look like for anyone to generate a script? People who never would have hired a Hollywood writer are also gonna generate scripts or or they're not gonna hire the agency or they're gonna show up to the agency like, make this thing I wrote. Well, Mm -hmm. my bot wrote it, but I want you to make it. So I don't know if it fully balances things out, but I think it's a different category to assess the impact on beyond the substitution for writing as we know it. Because when all these technologies come along, they change the thing as we know it, and they make it something we don't know or recognize anymore. The, the, mm. the monk from the 800s would not recognize the volume of writing. They think we live in a crazy world. You, you let children write? <laughs> how <laughs> totally. is this possible? I went to, I studied 12 years to learn how to perfect the letter A. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't do that anymore. So I got a lot of respect for artists. I am an artist myself. And I know that there's fairness stuff that just feels dirty and wrong and like thievery. And then there's this categorical shift stuff that just feels different because it's nothing we've experienced before.
1: A corollary to that I think is the internet has both f- democratized, flattened, and homogenized really you know what language people use, what our vocabulary yeah. words are, what a kind of tone of writing is. It's like, I remember reading some article like 15 years ago. I don't know why this is in my head of a author criticizing like Oprah's book club. And at the Mm. time it was like, you know, it's good that more people are reading, but everyone's reading the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Another example is like seeing a really good DJ set from someone who has like an incredible collection of vinyl that isn't actually available on Spotify or streaming or whatever. And so like most of the language vocabulary, Story flow, the architecture of writing anything a script, a book, novel, poem the stuff that's most immediately available on Google and social media is, you know, the kind of language that's accessible to most people. And so, you know, to your point, if anyone can write anything uh, using AI or with the help of technology, you know, that might be true, but a lot of it's going to be. Uh, infected by sameness. Yeah, uh, you It's know, like gentrification, yeah. dude. Yeah.
0: Right? Like right. every city, we see these new neighborhoods coming. They all have a little Whole Foods. They all have this like <laughs> Reformation design, West Elm look because they're all fed by Instagram algorithms. Uh-huh. And that makes our taste. And so this thing that was supposed to expose us to the vast richness and variety of the world, the internet, has actually reduced yeah. our access to the vast richness and variety of the world by implicitly standardizing and narrowing yeah. our tastes such that people in the real world expect things that all look like these five houses. Yes. And it it affects zoning departments you know, in, in the Bay Area and in the American Southeast and in parts of London. And you're like, I feel <laughs> like I'm traveling, but I haven't left my home.
1: Yeah, the algorithm on TikTok sometimes, like, shows me like men's fashion stuff and you see like Gen Z wearing these wide-legged pants now and everyone thinks they're the ones being distinctive because they're the ones dressing cool but like all the other cool kids are looking at the same algorithm and like it's actually yeah. like you're kind of dressing like other people. <laughs> um, Baratunde, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about how all this applies to Drake and The weekend. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The evening standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Welcome back to The Power's The be. Beat. Baratunde... What did you think of the fake AI-generated Drake Weekend song that blew up the internet a few weeks ago? To me, it sounded okay. It sounded like I would think a Drake AI song would sound like. More to the point, as someone who's not like a huge Drake fan, if that song dropped on Spotify on New Music Friday, I would be like, oh, it's a Drake song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What did you think about it?
0: I um, similarly... You know, I share feelings of ambivalence about Drake. Pretty good, you know, but I've yeah, am yeah. never seen him live. I don't download every album or stream it constantly. And I would have been fooled if I hadn't heard about mm-hmm. it under the aegis of, like, this is fake Drake and fake Weekend. Yeah. There's, there's always stuff beneath all this stuff. And so on the possibility side, I'm like, it would be cool if Drake and the Weekend teamed up and, like, performed that song mm-hmm. as a way to kind of reclaim it and be like see what we're doing for the fans and for the culture and that's just like a nice um, repossession of their selves it would be cooler if we had the technical financial infrastructure for fan art like this uh-huh. to get created with artist permission and and for any spoils any revenues or profits to emerge from this to accrue to both you know the artist whose voice this is based on and the fan who took the time to construct this remix, this new interpretation based on that artist's voice. That future is probably coming. There's blockchain things. There's all kinds of ways to track and code, but an artist needs to be able to say like, that's cool, but not like a Nazi theme song, right? That's mm-hmm. that's not how I want to use my voice. And there's there's rights of publicity that already exist in entertainment where you can't have Drake selling a product he doesn't endorse. Mm-hmm. and and same with The weekend, And so we need to fix that before this gets way out of control. Uh, Grimes is you know offered it and tried this, like make songs with my voice, make songs with my music. I'll share 50-50 with you. But then she also came back and drew a line. It's like, but you can't have the song just say any old thing. Mm. And, and so I, I think it's um, underneath of all that is can we own our voice? And there's actually a friend of mine, A.D. Carson, professor of hip hop at UVA. And he's like, oh, great, we've perfected The art of making black music without a black body is his way of putting it. And Mm -hmm. now we can complete the total colonialization, business extraction. We can get the art without the human and Mm -hmm. disembody it. And and so especially for communities that make art that are already exploited, you know, a poor artist from here, a queer artist from there, a black art, you can slice and dice it to have, you know, machines built by Silicon Valley-backed money, deliver the coup de grace on that and mm-hmm. be like, yes, we can have all of the music and none of the soul, mm-hmm. but we know most people won't care. Mm. That's disheartening. And uh, and that's not a future I I want to live in. It's just, it's good enough, which is tragic, actually.
1: Yeah, it's like, the flip side of that is like fans and fandom depends on devotion, expertise, like like a super drake fan with the that song, maybe some enterprising one would create fan art like you said. Yeah. I think most people want like the artist to create the stuff, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a novelty. There's a yeah. novelty to be like, "Oh, this machine version of Drake did this." Yeah. And you're like cool, 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 but 5 AI albums later, will it still be interesting? Right. Is is that art? You know, right. is that that's You know it's not Drake. It sounds like Drake. It smells like Drake. Well, I don't know. We haven't got the smell of vision thing down yet. But (laughs) um, hopefully, there is a level of discernment and maybe even disgust at a certain point from just flooding the zone with synthetic art in place of human art. Mm. Um, But the line is trick. The line is fascinating to me. To me, it's pretty obvious in this case that Drake wasn't involved. Let's let's assume we don't actually fully fully know. But let's assume he wasn't involved. Then this is like non-consensual use of mm-hmm. the raw material that is his voice. He was born with that. That shouldn't be replicable without his consent. But the use of technology to create art, I find that very fuzzy. Are you not a real painter unless you make your own ink and get you, make your own paper? You know, you're outsourcing a big part of the art. Depending on when you're describing painting in the history of this art form, if you use a computer and and are a graphic artist. Are you not a real artist because you're using a mouse and a Wacom tablet? Mm-hmm. So if you're describing and you're issuing a command to a system, pull up an image of a clown with one tear from the right eye set in front of a Ferris wheel with that's blurry in the background, high exposure rate, high frame rate, shot with a Canon EOS, blah, blah, blah. Are you an artist then? <laughs> right. Just, you, well, you just told the machine what to do, but when you tell Photoshop what to do, because mm-hmm. I'm clicking versus verbalizing, is it the amount of time that makes you an artist? Is it the inspiration that makes you an artist and your ability to command whatever technology, be it a paintbrush, physical, virtual, or a prompt input box? Da. <laughs> I'm sure the answer is not simple. Um, but I also am sure that there is a threshold point that we are very uncomfortable with when you just like, if you painted something with your hands and you took the time, you drew something with a pencil versus you told a system that only knew how to draw because it sucked in every drawing beforehand and didn't compensate those artists for it, that it could spit out a look-alike. One of those is not really art. It's, mm-hmm. it's a performance. It's an issuance. It's a publishing of a thing, but is it art? I don't know. And I'm also sure, sadly sure, that most people don't care. Yeah, that's the Most part. of the time. Most of the time.
1: Well, until Smell-O-Vision does come out, I think you and I, I can, can both be assured that Drake smells great i think drake probably smells fantastic if they can clone his smell on top of his (laughs) voice we are
0: really in trouble
1: (laughs) um baritone thank you so much really thoughtful conversation thanks for uh adding some context to my very fun dinner the other night thanks buddy
0: you're so welcome thanks for having me to be continued